Well, we're continuing our series, uh, Making Life Matter, and last week we, we actually looked at the life of Moses, and we talked about these burning bush experiences, about how God calls us into his life, and the question becomes whether we will accept that invitation and choose, make those choices uh, to follow God. Well, today we're going to talk about prayer and the impact that prayer has uh, in making our lives matter. Uh, let, me, let me share with you, there was a little boy who wanted some cash. I think today most of us would like to have some cash, right? Well, he actually had his eyes set. He wanted 100 bucks. So he sat down and he wrote God a letter. And he explained to God how God uh, ought to bless him with $100 in cash. Well, as he finished the letter, he put it in an envelope and he addressed it, God, USA. And he put it into the postal service. Well, you can imagine the U.S. Postal Service really got a kick out of that. And they decided, well, uh, why don't we just deliver this to the president? So they send it over uh, to the president, and the president opens up the envelope. He reads the letter that this little boy wants $100 in cash. The president is touched by that and says to his secretary, why don't you send this little boy a $5 bill? So he thinks, well, $5 ought to be great for a little boy to have, right? So it goes back in the envelope, goes back to the boy. The boy opens up the envelope, and he reads it, and there is a $5 bill right from God, he thinks. And he sits down, and he writes a second letter, and he says, Dear God, thank you for the money, but I noticed that you bypassed and went to Washington, D.C. Those turkeys took out $95 in taxes. <laughs> <clears throat> You liked that one, didn't you? <laughs> You're going to tell that to your students, aren't you? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, let me share with you a couple of more uh, little interesting points about prayer. I always love to see prayers of, of children, and maybe you catch a couple of these online like I do. Like little Debbie, little Debbie. That, that. <laughs> Debbie, who's age seven, says, Dear God, please send a new baby for Mommy. The new baby you sent last week cries too much. <laughs> now here's Jimmy. Jimmy is six. Dear God, who did you make smarter, boys or girls? My sister and I want to know. <laughs> David, who's eight. Dear God, I need a raise in my allowance. Could you have one of your angels please tell my dad? And then this is my favorite. Angela, age nine. Dear God, this is my prayer. Would you please give my brother some brains? So far, he doesn't have any. <laughs> well, the Big Ten Conference, and the reason why I reference the Big Ten Conference, I know that we, we have lots of folks that uh, uh, seem to, to migrate from that part of the country here to St. Paul. The Big Ten Conference is, is really known for uh, what we call smash-mouth football and, and uh, hard-nosed basketball. So when the University of Michigan decided to do a study to find out what was the most demanding and difficult sport that there was, one of their great researchers, Paul Hunsicker, decided that he would go do that. He would find out what's the toughest sport that one could possibly participate in. So Hunsicker took 41 separate physical activities and he measured all of their demands. Um, he looked at uh, coordination, he looked at endurance, uh, he looked at flexibility, agility, balance, intelligence, and creativity. So what do you think the, the toughest sport is that, that people can play? Anybody have a guess for that? What was that? Cheerleading, Cheerleading football. Well, well here's, here's the toughest sport right here. Would you believe it? It's ballet. Ballet 
is the toughest sport. So uh, the reason why I wanted to share with you this story about uh, the toughest sport, because oftentimes our minds begin to focus on one thing. Our minds begin to think that we know the answer to the questions that we ask. But all, uh, in many times and in many extremes, a lot of the questions that we ask, a lot of the things that we want to know, we have no idea or we guess incorrectly or we're pursuing the wrong thing. And that's why it's been written throughout the years that a wise person keeps an open mind. Now, wouldn't you agree with me that that uh, also resembles some of our prayer life? In fact, I have yet to meet the person today who has said to me, I have never prayed to God for God to do something in my life. I've never met that person. So we find ourselves and we pray to God seeking things for our lives. Now, I've gone through many seasons in my life, and I know I'll go through many seasons more. And, and the one season that I find myself going in and out of um, uh, a lot of times, sometimes more than others, is seasons of prayer. And, and I like to think of myself as a student of prayer. Why a student? Because a student is someone who is always learning. Would you agree with that? That, that we want to learn. I always want to learn more about prayer. I want to learn more about the power of prayer. I want to learn about the presence of prayer. I want to learn about the mystery of prayer. I want to learn about the relationships of prayer and all those things. And I, I've become a student of prayer again in my life, seeking ways that my prayer life can become more active. My, my prayer life can become more impactful. I want to learn how to pray like the prophet Elijah. When Elijah called upon the power of God, God made God's self known to the world, and I want to be able to pray in that way that I can help the world see that God is King of kings and Lord of lords. I want to be the kind of prayer like Jesus, who in John chapter 17 prays, prays that the, of his love of all of those whom he has in his contact. And I want to be able to pray the prayer in the life of my ministry at the end of whenever that might come, that like Jesus, that I know that I have not lost a single soul for God in a sense of what that comes. There's a huge part of me that wants to learn how to pray like King David. David uh, committed an egregious sin, and, but David knew that in the midst of his sin as he prayed that he could pray for forgiveness. He could pray for restoration. He could, he could pray for reconciliation. And I want to become the kind of prayer that I know that as I pray that, that I can be reconciled to God in the midst of whatever my sin may be. And I want to learn to be the kind of person who, who learns how to pray for my enemies. I want to be able to pray for those who, who bring harm upon me. The scripture says that, that, that we need to be careful because people want to bring harm upon us. And I want to be able to pray a prayer of love for them. Not a prayer of vengeance or a prayer of revenge, but I want to be able to pray that there can be some understanding that we might find love together. So those are some of the things that as I look at being a student of prayer, that I, uh, I move forward with wanting to make my life matter. But what happens when instead of prayer being an instrument that draws us closer into relationships with God, we instead make the purpose of our prayers to be a way to merely strive to conjole the creator of the universe into giving us exactly what we ask. 
whether it emerges out of a, a sense of selfish greed or, or whether that kind of prayer request and petition uh, emerges because of the brokenness of the depths of our soul, we, we, we want to focus on those acts of prayer. But let me stop first by saying that, that we are to engage in a prayerful relationship with God. We are to do that. We are to seek into what the relationship between us and God is, between creator and created. And yes, there are times in our brokenness, in those times that we seek wisdom, in those moments of our lives, when we are just unsure that yes, it is appropriate to seek God's wisdom in navigating our way through life, and that can and should be a part of, of what our prayer can, life ought to be. But I want us to evaluate the life of someone who, who prayed and prayed and prayed. And, and, and their life was just torn in total shambles. And his name is Job. And Job is a, is a wonderful book of wisdom that we find inside of the Scripture. It's in the Old Testament. And I want to encourage you to go and, and to read the book of Job and to see how Job engages God and how God Here's the prayers of Job. What happens in Job's life? Let's just cut to the chase. Job loses all of his wealth. He loses all of his property. He loses all of his cattle and all of his livestock. His children are killed. His relationship with his wife becomes in peril. And all of a sudden, he has no friendships. Those that were his friends, before all of this happened, we learn that, that all of a sudden, Job does not have any friends. So let's see the intensity of what Job is writing as he seeks God in the midst of these challenges. I'm going to take us to Job chapter 23, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. Even today, Job says, my complaint is bitter. God's head is heavy in spite of my groaning. Now, how many of us find ourselves that when we are going through a difficult patch in life, when we are praying to God, that we have some bitterness, that there's that moment of bitterness that comes to us, and we feel as though that we're praying, but God is asleep at the wheel. This is where Job is. If only I knew where to find him, if only I could go to his dwelling. I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say. Would he oppose me with great power? No, he would not press charges against me. There an upright man could present his case before him, and I would be delivered forever before my judge. Now, I, I, I focus on this word judge that, that Job looks at here. And, and how many of us, when, when we are praying to God and, and, and the prayer isn't being answered in the way in which we're seeking, how many of us feel that maybe we're standing in judgment of God, that God is judging us or judging something about us, and therefore our prayer is just not getting answered and the, what we're seeking isn't happening in the way in which we want. We begin to wonder, is God judging? Am I standing in the judgment of God. Job writes, but if I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When, when he is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I can catch no glimpse of him. These are those moments of reality in our lives when we know that God is supposed to be there, but for whatever reason, we just can't find him. And where is God in this? Um, but he knows the way that I take 
When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. My feet have closely followed his steps. Notice the changing of the words now. My feet have followed closely to his steps. I have kept to his way without turning aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. So the tone of Job's prayer begins to change. He begins to find himself moving in this direction of seeking God's presence and wanting to find answers. Now, some have said that, that Job's life is a reflection of our life, and that's why it's a part of the wisdom portion of the Bible, because most of us can see ourselves in the midst of the life of Job. And because it's wisdom, we're to apply his experiences, his trials, his concerns, his victories, his defeats. We're to apply that to our lives, and we are to see ourselves in the life of the story. In fact, anytime we read Scripture, we should do just that. We should not see it as someone else's story. We should see it as our story and we should read ourselves into that. So through Job's experience, we're seeing dark days. It's like, it's like our life on steroids. And this is the impact of Job. His children die before their rightful age. His marriage is challenged. His relationships with others are questionable. And Job's life testifies to the roller coaster of emotions and events that we find ourselves addressing in the midst of unanswered questions and unyielding challenges and doubts and fears in our lives. So like Job, we too pray, God, bring me some relief. Bring me some relief. Now prayer, prayer can be um, the key that unlocks all of all that sought in life's journey. Prayer can be something that creates roadblocks also, and it can also create confusion as what's being prayed for isn't being achieved. And that's why it's important for us to know that, that we ask these kind of questions. What problem am I stuck in? What mountain stands in my way? What issues have kept me baffled for years or seasons of my life of where I'm seeing, I can't seem to find the answers? How am I confused with what's happening in life? These are all fair questions that believers might ask as we are journeying through the challenges of life. But all too often, we look at things only in our lens. We look at situations in life with what is the impact it will only have on me? How is my life impacted? And we have to make sure that we're not looking for something solely that is a benefit for us through our life of prayer. God created the world. God created all people. God's purpose and God's love is that all creation be reconciled back to him. So our prayer shouldn't only be, God, make my relationship with you better. Our prayer should reflect a grander scheme. God, help all people. To connect better. But what we find is, is that too many of us get caught up in what I call quick, quick fix schemes. We want to pray and we want instant satisfaction. And our, and our world is kind of built on that, isn't it? Our world is built on that if we want something and we demand it loud enough, hard enough, and are belligerent enough about it, that someone else will get it. If you've ever stood in line and you become impatient, you're demanding that the line move, right? We all can find those pictures of the things that are there. We want things in an instant. We want an instant success, and yet instant success isn't what brings truth, reality, and longevity to the things of our life. 
For 37 chapters, Job cries out to God, and God is totally silent as he's calling out. Job is lamenting. He is pouring his heart out to God. He is pleading for answers. He is calling and asking God for reasons why his life is going through such turmoil. And then here he, he says in verse 13, but God stands alone, and who can oppose him? He who does whatever he pleases, he carries out his decree against me, and many such plans he still has in store. And that is why I'm terrified before him. When I think of all this, I fear him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. And some of us, we, we, we recall those moments when we are just absolutely terrified and we are afraid to approach God's throne of grace and we're shaking in our fears and yet I am not silenced by the darkness Job writes but by the thick darkness that covers my face you know there have been times in in my life when when I've gone through certain illnesses and and I've wondered how should I pray as I go through this illness should I pray for an instant cure should I pray for this should I pray for that there have been times in my life when, when I've had relationship challenges, and I found myself often saying, God, change that other person, right? Change them so that we can get along, and maybe the prayer should have been, God, change me. I pray for something that I want deeply in my life, and, and does that mean that, that, that praying for it to be exactly the way that I think it should be, is that really the best solution to whatever the situation might be, exactly the way that I've prayed it. So these seasons of prayers teach us to have an openness of mind, to be aware of the Holy Spirit, of how God's Spirit is working with us. It's fair to say that, that many of us don't know what to pray for, let alone how to start. Like Job, we find ourselves faced with situations that place us on that axis of our life that, that sets us off balance, and we become disturbed, and it's like a, a rug that's pulled out from under us, and we just don't know what to do. And we utter the words, where is God in this? And I'm convinced for most that the initial response when, when we're going through those kinds of crises and we're crying out in our prayer, and when we feel God hasn't delivered to us that which we've been asking, I believe many of us become angry with God. We become angry. We get to that place in our life where, where we start making statements like, how could you allow this to happen to me? Why is this happening to me? I don't understand why you chose me as the one that this happens to. Or we, where we've said, I've prayed every day and every night and I've asked for something to come true and it just has not come true. We become angry with God. Listen to me, listen to me. Even people with the deepest level and the greatest faith of all have prayed that kind of prayer. God, where are you? Where are you? Jesus, as he was on the cross, prayed the words of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we need to understand that, that as believers and persons of faith, we are, it, is, it is acceptable for us to cry out to God. It is acceptable for us to say to God what is the deepest bowels of our hearts. And God is big enough to take it, folks. God is big enough to take it, and we need to be bold enough to pray that prayer. In addition to becoming angry with God, there are times that we might feel that God is punishing us. 
Why, God? What have I done to deserve this? What did I do that has caused this situation to happen in my life? Why haven't you answered me? What have I done wrong? Sometimes we find ourselves here. So what is it that you've been praying for? What is it that um, is going on that brings tears to your eyes, that is just ripping at the core of your heart? What is it that's bringing pain upon you? And that you were just saying to yourself, if God would only answer my prayer, if God would only hear me, all would be good again. Now remember earlier when I said that I am in a season of my life where I'm a student of prayer again, and, 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 and there are times that as I've evaluated my own prayers, I've wondered, have I used the right words? Have I prayed long enough? Have I gotten on the floor, prostrate, you know, on my face before God? Maybe that's what it is. Or, or maybe there's some, you know, secret abracadabra that I'm missing out. Or, or does my prayer need to be longer than it is? Does it need to just ramble on and on and on? And there are times when I've wondered, am I good enough? Am I valued enough? Am I loved enough? to even humble myself before God to pray. And these things come to us. They come to us in the, in, the, in the challenges that we see for life. God doesn't tell us that, we, that if we invoke a special mystical sequence of words and, and, and those kind of things, God doesn't say if you just do that, then all will be well. Uh, God doesn't say that, that if you um, choose the right words that are big biblical words or you speak in the king's language that your prayer is more worthy than someone else's it just doesn't work that way but i but i'm grateful for those moments when i do pray and my prayer i feel is heard i am grateful in those moments when i pray and i see a, an outcome that i could have never believed could have ever happened i do i do i am grateful for all those things and that's why, for me, I just continue to be a prayer. I continue to pray to be a person of hope, to know that life doesn't always work out the way that I want, that life doesn't always deliver the kind of things that I think are the most important things to come. But what I have discovered in my life is that 95% of what I pray for happens. 95%. And my guess is that if you were to look at your life, you would say that 95% of what you've prayed for has happened. I've prayed uh, for people to be healed through surgeries, and they've been healed through surgeries. I've prayed for people who have come to me and said, uh, my marriage is, is, is done, and we've, we've worked together, and we've prayed, and by the power of God, that marriage was healed. I've prayed with people who have had empty wombs, and, and God had, uh, uh, all of a sudden, God uh, places uh, a seed in their, in their womb, and they have a child. Uh, 95% of what I've prayed for in my life, I feel has happened. But here's the agony that we get to. It's that 5%. It's that 5% that just eats at us. It's that 5% that doesn't work out exactly the way, precisely the way, uh, uh, in the order we've prayed. It's that 5%. 5% of the cases I've prayed seem to go answered, unanswered. I have prayed for mothers who wanted children who couldn't have them. And even after we've prayed together, they still were not able to have children. I prayed for marriages that they wanted to be healed. And there's a small percentage of those that weren't. I have prayed for people to be healed of cancer. 
and instead of being healed, they have died. So it's 5%. 95% of prayer is answered, but it's the 5% that we just can't understand. It's the 5% that just really upsets us. 95% goes exactly the way that we ask, but it's the 5% that hurts. So the question is, what do we do with that? What do we do in those instances when we pray and it just doesn't work out the way that it is? Now, if you came this morning hoping for some huge theological treatise as to why that is, that's not what you're going to get. What you're going to get is down-to-earth, simple Bob of how this works for me. And how this works for me goes something like this. We are all susceptible to the things of this world. Our bodies were not made to be indestructible. There is disease in the world. There are challenges in the world. There are good people and there are challenging people in the world. There are good relationships and there are bad relationships. We just have to come to understand that sometimes it's just what it is. And as much as we don't want it to be that or we want it to be something else, folks, it's just what it is. God promises to always be with us. God promises to walk with us through whatever challenges or dark moments happen in our lives. That is a biblical promise. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that God says that our lives will be perfect, that our lives will be disease-free, that our lives will be nothing but great relationships and happiness and wealth. Nowhere in the Scripture does it say that. But what we do know is those promises that come to God. God has not promised to be Superman. God has not promised to be Batman, to send a signal up into the, the sky and, and say, we need you, come down here and, and save the day. God hasn't promised any of those things. And the shortest verse of the Bible sums it up. Jesus wept. So if Jesus is God with skin on, the Lord experienced brokenness of his life as well. And when it says Jesus wept, what was going on? Well, that was when Lazarus, the brother of Martha and Mary, had died. And word came back to Jesus that Lazarus had not lived, but he had died. And Jesus wept. And there's lots of d discussion as to why he wept. But the one thing we know that whether they were, they were tears of, of, of disappointment and hurt that his beloved had, had, had died, and likely they were, but I want to also believe that they were also tears of joy because he knew Lazarus would come back to life. That Jesus knew that resurrection could happen and that all of those things of which we have become afraid the Lord knew that despite the painful moments, something good would come. How did, God finally, how did God finally respond to Job? Here's how he responds to Job in chapter 42. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 4,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. And after this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And then he died, old and full of years. What do you and I, what should we do when we feel that our prayers are not answered the way that we ask? How do we ensure that our life will matter 
because it is one in which we live a life full of prayer. The prophet Jeremiah says this, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to what? Prosper you. And not to what? Not to harm you. Plans to what? Give you hope and a future. And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me, and you will find me. And when you seek me with all your heart, guess what God says? I'll be found. Seeking God with all of our heart. Seeking God in the midst of all that happens in our life. If you're one who's been struggling and you've been saying, you know, hey, I've been praying and praying and praying, and gosh, it just, uh, nothing's working. You know, my relationships are still in bad shape. My health is still in bad shape. My employment outlook, my uh, retirement investments, what, whatever it is. Here's what I want you to do. Instead of focusing on that, I want you to try something differently. I want you to start looking about how God has blessed you. I want you to ask yourself that the last time that I went through a crisis, how did the Lord Jesus help me through it? And with a heart of gratitude and a mind of gratitude, <clears throat> I want you to focus on God's sacrificial and magnanimous love. And that's the love that he has for all of us. I want you to consider the most recent challenge that the Lord has brought you through. And I want you to reflect on your faithfulness. And I want you to see, more importantly, God's faithfulness. That as you felt hopeless and helpless and alone, that God's faithfulness met you at your particular place. I want you to thank God for inviting you into this life that you have with him. And instead of focusing on what hasn't happened, I want you to celebrate what has and lift that high. Let gratitude transform your life for a change. Let gratitude be that which lifts you up out of the bowels of hell. Let gratitude be that which connects you back to God. Let gratitude and grace be that which fills you all the days of your life.